Welcome to the Forbidden Forest. This is Ro reading chapter 30 of the Blood Magic series, Protego Totalum. September 1st, 2008. Harry watched Draco retire to bed before he walked back outside, ducking down beneath the overhang of the living roof outside the doorway, recently weighed down by a nest of lapwings and their substantial brood who seemed to have mistaken the living roof for a proper hillock and who were all curled up together, fast asleep. He walked to the edge of the clearing and raised his hands in front of him, murmuring the same protective enchantments, enchantments that had kept them safe from the eddying forces of evil all around them. Salvio hexia, protego totalum, cave animicum. Harry's lips moved around the words, but his magic flowed easily and generously from his palms and fingers, a latticework of gold that shimmered in the air before disappearing. He walked the entire perimeter, focused on the singular goal of reinforcing the protective wards of their home, their home, his and Draco's. The little stonework cabin had been synonymous with safety since he had first accepted his residence here, and the idea that something so sinister could be lurking nearby was unfathomable to Harry. The idea that anyone could come here at all filled him with a lingering and nagging dread. This was their sanctuary. Salvio hexia, protego totalum, cave animicum. Over and over he repeated the charms, his magic snaking and weaving between the ancient wards that had stood centuries of disuse and the newer hints of Draco's spellwork, a flitting song between the slow drumming of the hollow's magic. Salvio hexia, protego totalum, cave animicum. The thought that someone could hurt Draco burned at the tip of his tongue, and his skin was peppered with the familiar rush of adrenaline. Harry poured his desire to protect him into the magic that swirled around Tenebris Hollow a warm breeze from the south sweeping across the clearing, lifting the tendrils of hair that had escaped Harry's topknot before disappearing down the other side of the valley. Harry dropped his hands and walked back across the field of wildflowers to their front door, checking in on the little garden as he passed. An empty eggshell by the lettuce heads made him smile for the first time since he had left the rock pool. Draco had been leaving presents for the egg-eater. Draco, who beneath everything was soft and kind and full of good, who was scarred and scared and vulnerable, who had lived through horrors that Harry had only started to imagine, so different from his own hauntings. Harry had seen the scars that his sectum sempra had left, yes, but there were so many more. There were deep gashes from his ribs curving around to his back, and jagged edges that dipped below the waist of his pants. Those were scars from other men, from men like Lestrange and Greyback, and the three they had just barely escaped that afternoon, men who liked to leave marks on the things that they claimed. Harry tightened his grip on the wattle fence he had made all those months ago, enraged with the idea that Draco's life was still saturated in fear, doused in unrelenting memories of the cruelty of others, of the depravity. 
Harry had struggled at the pond to keep his magic contained and soft and not reach out and snap the necks of men who threatened them, who endangered their safety, who had made Draco shrink in fear. He had felt Draco's heart racing in the frantic grip of his hand, and Harry had known that he could have easily killed them. The forest around him made its usual nighttime noises, Owl hoots and the chirruping of frogs, the rustling of wind in the towering trees. It was calming in its familiarity. The silence had been far more terrifying. As was the reminder that the world outside existed, with all of its persistent evils. He heard a faint howl in the distance. Potter? He heard Draco's call from inside as he walked up the steps, pushing the old wooden door and ducking inside a candle flickering to life as he waved his hand to ask for light. He wanted Draco to see him. He wanted to see Draco, for them both to know it was okay. They were safe. I'm here, he said, his smile soft, walking to the edge of Draco's bed and sitting on the floor. I made you something a while ago, and I haven't found the right time to give it to you, but I think after today I have very little reason not to do it tonight. Harry said, reaching deep within his pocket and pulling out the tiny bit of white blonde rowan wood he had been whittling away at for the last few months. In the center of his palm, he held the little cube of wood the size of a die. The four sides facing out all bore the same symbol, two crossed spears, burned into the wood and blackened with magic. On top of the cube, facing up, featured a tiny serpent, wriggling and writhing about itself, hissing softly. What is it? Draco asked, peering over the edge of his duvet, which he had wrapped around his shoulders. It's a protective talisman, Harry said softly, taking Draco's hand and dropping the little cube into his palm, the opposite side from the snake now facing up and featuring a tiny lion napping. I've enchanted it to protect the carrier, you, from unwanted advances. The person will feel an immense burning pain if they try and touch you when you don't want them to. Anyone, me included. Harry said, rubbing the back of his neck nervously, watching Draco's face for signs of approval. I just wanted you to feel safe, he finished, not wanting to tell him that he had first started working on it the day Draco had fled from them falling asleep next to each other or that he had looked up the ancient spellwork in one of the books Narcissa had sent, and it had taken months for him to refine the magic and make it strong enough to really work. Draco stared at the talisman in his palm, blank shock written on his face. He was quiet so long that Harry began to feel even more nervous. Did he not want it? Was it too much? You don't have to keep it on you if you don't want. I just wanted to do something for you, for everything you've done for me. You made me feel safe, and you deserve the same. Harry shrugged, feeling supremely self-conscious. Draco finally looked up to meet Harry's eyes. This, he started in disbelief. This is the nicest thing anyone has ever given me. Harry's worried expression broke into a smile. Thank you, Draco said, finally. There's something else, too. Something I'll need your help with tomorrow, Harry said, his smile now more mischievous. Draco narrowed his eyes. What do you need my help with? Do you know what a wigan tree is? Harry asked, his eyebrow raised, keen to one-up Draco on something magical theory related. 
Of course I do, Draco said amusedly. It's a rowan, imbued with healing and protective magic. Anyone who touches one is safe from dark creatures. They're incredibly rare and highly valued by potioneers. Harry sighed. Of course you knew. Well, did you know I found a seed in the old cupboard in a bit of parchment labeled Wiganweld? I had forgotten what it was until I came across it in one of the old potion books. I knew we used the bark in brewing healing potions, but I didn't realize the actual trees were living, protective centuries. Draco's eyebrows raised significantly in interest. I planted the seed a few days ago in an egg carton with some compost, like you showed me for the bean seeds. It sprouted the other day, and I think with some helpful growth magic we'll have ourselves a proper tree in a month or two. Harry got up as he was speaking and grabbed the little bit of egg carton hidden behind the encouragement, giving the fragrant creeper a little rub before heading back, filling the little cabin with the joyful smell of Corsica. Harry knelt back down and showed Draco the little treeling. It had two leaves and a wispy stem, but he whispered some growth charms over it, and they both watched as it stretched up, forming another leaf and the stem thickening before the, their eyes. Harry grinned up at Draco, who grinned back, and placed the little tree on the bedside table. Will you help me plant him tomorrow? I was thinking just outside the clearing by the well, and we'll need to make him his own protective fence so the porcupines don't get involved, he asked, excitement clear on his face, having obviously spent much time and consideration on where he wanted their tree to live. Draco's face broke into a shy smile, clear bewilderment on his face. Of course I'll help. Good, Harry said, with an air of finality, getting to his feet again and wandering over to the kitchen. What kind of tea would you like before bed? He asked, turning to catch Draco stuffing the little talisman he had given him into the left breast pocket of his pajama top. Harry smiled as Draco just said, Ginger, please, and busied himself with putting the kettle on and arranging their mugs, always keeping the chipped one for himself. September 16th. 2008. It was pouring rain in the hollow, and the chill of fall had settled satisfactorily in the air. Harry had been preparing for winter for weeks now, chopping and piling endless stacks of wood for the many fires they'd need to keep the little stone building habitable when the snow began to pile up. For now, just the rain soaked the little hillside, and Harry and Draco waited it out inside. Draco poring over his cauldron and experimenting with various ingredients and reactions to thestral hair and blood and potions, producing clouds of noxious yellow steam one moment and the sickly sweet aroma of strawberries and cream in another. Harry had grown so fond of watching him work, the humidity making his blonde locks stand up on end, the concentration ensuring a furrow in his so often haughty brow. Harry had sequestered himself away on his top bunk and was rereading the quintessence of debauchery for the fourth time. He had hidden it up above his bed in one of those little nooks behind a crossbeam and often took it out late at night, his wandless lumos creating a soft glow from his hands. It was on this particular rainy mid-morning that a thoroughly soaked barn owl came fluttering to the window, tapping frantically on the edge to be let in. Draco hardly glanced up from his bubbling sludge in his cauldron, but Harry put down his book and hopped to the floor, letting the poor little owl in from the deluge outside. 
It had been long since they'd gotten any mail, and Harry curiously reached for the outstretched leg, letter held aloft. Whoever had sent it had included a crafty waterproofing charm that kept the pages neat and smudge-free, despite the rain. Draco looked up and cleared his throat pointedly, just as Harry reached out for the bit of twine around the correspondence. Harry froze. The owl had come to him. The letter was addressed to him. If he accepted it, the outside world would know he was alive. Was he ready for this? He was committed to returning, eventually, he knew that, but was this the moment to set things in motion? Did he feel capable of contacting his friends, his family? Could they be all right with waiting for him to explain things at his own pace, to his leaving some questions unanswered? Harry's hand hung in the air, outstretched. He recognized the owl, he realized. Once he could see it properly, out of the rain and puffing his feathers out in the warmth of the cottage, the little barn owl was Hermione's, the waterproofing charm as good as her signature. He reached out and undid the twine, the letter unfurling and laying open on the counter. The owl hooted happily, clearly ecstatic to have accomplished his delivery, one that would have been a failure on any other day. The parchment was soft, the handwriting so incredibly familiar. He felt as though he was opening a door inside himself, one to his past, but to a past he still loved dearly, a place before it had become tarnished. Harry, Rose is growing like a little dandelion. We just celebrated her first birthday at the borough, and it was such a sight, pink icing everywhere, including Ron's hair. Teddy was nearly cross-eyed trying to mimic it in his own. Just imagine, pink and the red, it was a worse combination than the damned Chudley orange. I laughed myself nearly sick. Fleur and Bill were there too with little Victoire. Oh, but she cried nearly the whole time. I'm so glad Rose isn't so fussy. She wouldn't stop unless Arthur was holding her and singing old muggle show tunes. What a mess. We missed you terribly at the party, Harry. It wasn't the same without you. It's as though there's a hole in our life, all of our lives. We left a seat at the table for you, even though no one's heard anything from you in months. I think all of us were so hopeful you'd just surprise us all and walk in through the kitchen door, like you used to all those summers ago, smiling like nothing could keep you from us. Ron isn't the same without you, Harry. He tries so hard to be strong, and I know he's convinced you're still out there, somewhere, fighting some dangerous battle you didn't think you could tell us about, keeping us all safe from whatever new monsters you'd found. But me, I don't know, for the only thing I can think is that a piece of me will be gone forever if I never see you again. We both think of you often and send our love, whether it finds you or not. Hermione. His tears slid off the parchment, just as the rain had, a sob catching in his throat. He felt so overwhelmed with her love, her kindness, how much she still held him close, even after he had abandoned them all. Here she was, still writing, months later, still sending her love after what must have been a hundred unanswered letters. How could he have ever lied to her? How could he leave her with the pain and guilt of his disappearance? How much he missed her, and Ron, and little Rose even. It hit him all at once. The tears came and the sobs racked his body, 
his legs going weak and dropping him to the middle of the kitchen floor. Draco was across from him on the floor when he finally brought his head up off his knees, his arms hugging his legs to him, curling tight into himself with the shame of having left his family with the weight of his possible death. How cruel he had been, not to let them know he was okay. How selfish. They'll be okay, Draco said, reaching out to put his hand over Harry's. They'll understand. I should have told them, Harry sniffed, not caring that there was snot running down his nose and he must have looked an absolute mess. They love me. They know now, Draco assured him, and they still love you. You needed time and you took it. It's okay. I don't know what to write back, Harry said, rubbing his face and worrying his bottom lip, looking back at Draco's calm and steady gray gaze. You don't have to write anything yet. Just you accepting the letter lets her know you're alive. You can leave it like that until you feel ready. Draco rubbed his thumb in small circles over the back of Harry's hand, as if to ease the I-must-not-tell-lies that remained etched there. Okay. Harry's voice was muffled as he dropped his head back onto his knees and breathed a deep sigh. It was several hours later, and the rain had long since let up that Hermione's little owl returned, hooting excitedly at the window, hopping around on one leg, eager to deliver his new message. Harry knew this was coming, but he felt ready. It was time. He had his response in his pocket. He reached out and unfurled the bit of parchment. Harry? Just one word on the page, the ink blurred and shaky, as if she had struggled to write it. Blurred, he realized, with tears that had since dried. He pulled the little wooden otter he had carved from his pocket, his magic coursing from his fingers to the fine-grained black walnut and swirling around the polished lines he had so meticulously poured over. He had spent hours enchanting the little figure, focusing all of his newfound joy and peace of his new life, all of his new feelings of freedom and the weightlessness of being carefree. It was magic he had always wanted to try, but had never found the time or the place or the energy to pour himself into something so complex and detailed, yet beautiful. He never would have been able to, he had realized, midway through the complex enchantments. He would have had to know these feelings to replicate them. He had gotten the idea from his mother, well, from Slughorn's story of his mother, all of those years ago, she had impressed him with her little charm that enchanted a petal to transform into a fish. A little bit of herself she had given, so thoughtfully, so carefully. The little otter was carved to be curled up, sleeping, head tucked against her little body. Harry pulled out a little scrap of parchment and scribbled his first words to the outside world since March. Four rows, put her in water. It was all he needed to say. Hermione would feel his magic. She would know he was fine, better than fine. She would see the joy as soon as the little carving was submerged, as the little otter would come to life, splashing and winding through the water, flipping on her back and floating happily, a perfect replica of Alice's lazy days in the summer stream. Hermione would know. It was the most comfort he could give her, far more meaningful than words. Harry rolled up the parchment and attached it to the little owl, 
who had been waiting patiently. He gave the bird a pointed look and said, You can tell her I'm okay. She doesn't need to worry. But the little owl just hooted and hopped to the window to take off, her silent wings carrying her off into the night, ghostly white amongst the trees. I will never recover from you writing horrible things from Hermione that I love so much. It's not horrible. It was supposed to be nice. No, it's amazing. Oh, God. Every single time Hermione is mentioned, not even in this fic, but, like, in anything I've ever written, Mm -hmm. you just bawl. Yeah. No, I just cry. Even if it's, like, sweet and nice and happy, you just cry. No, yeah. It doesn't matter. makes me cry. Do you have any other thoughts on the chapter? Other than, like, sobbing? I'm just wallowing over here. It's fine. (laughs) Um, I did. So, in the beginning of the chapter, when he's casting the protective charms around the hollow and around where the house is, I find it really, this, like, really interesting moment for Harry to be in this place where he is clearly so desperate to protect Draco Mm -hmm. and wanting to keep him safe. Mm -hmm. And dancing that fine line between like, rescuing the damsel in distress and being, like... Supportive. Supportive. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting um, moment, like you're saying, because Draco does appear the damsel in distress, but Draco's also... He's not incapable. Yeah, He's very capable. Um, And he has rescued Harry previously, and Harry's been relying on him all these months. Mm. So I tried to avoid this idea that it was, like, weak Draco... Mm. And more like that Harry just felt compelled yeah. to play that role. Yeah, definitely. And to, like, while Draco's inside doing whatever he's doing, doing what he can to help. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that we explore a lot through this fic is... I mean, we've mentioned this also in previous chapters, is, like, neither of them are, are actively trying to, like, be responsible for the other person. No. You know, they're just being supportive. Like, we're trying to model good supportive behavior. Yeah, and I think... Like, it's, I kind of also thought of it like, of course they had forgotten that the outside world exists. Mm. And had it been any other time, they would have already done these enchantments. Like, Draco's already reinforced the wards. Yeah. But he hasn't done the thing that makes them, like, invisible and, you know, like, really hidden where Mm. they are. Um, And there's, like, ancient wards on the place, but obviously they need more. And Mm. now Harry has magic, and he has very powerful magic, and he should... Do the spells he knows. Yeah, definitely. Spells that Draco might not know. Definitely. And ones that he's used in the past to, like, great effect. Yeah. That have kept him safe through the war. That actually Hermione used to keep them all safe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was Hermione, not even them. Oh, God. (laughs) Can't we talk about Hermione? (laughs) Anyways. She's coming back in part three. I know. (laughs) I know. Um, And then, so, in, in a similar sort of spot... Um, when he talked about being back in, like, when the werewolves were there, and Mm -hmm. he's reflecting on that experience, and he, like, had the thought of, like, he could have easily killed them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we forget that Harry very often walks the morally gray line when the people he cares about are threatened, and he feels very compelled to... I mean, I think one of my favorite moments in the book is when he 
is it Hecrucios? Um, Bellatrix. No, not Bella. Not even Bellatrix. Um, one of the Caro twins, because oh, they spit yeah. at McGonagall. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's he right. he's like very you know you touch he spit on you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you touch the people he cares about yeah. and he snaps. Yeah. No. <laughs> And it's like he's he's definitely not afraid of of that violent retribution yeah. for like you know bad behavior gets yeah and I mean he intentionally tried to do the sectum sempra on um, Snape too in the yes book. yeah 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 when he yeah right after Dumbledore dies yeah when he is confronted with this like a a, a force of what he perceives to be evil or threatening to the people he cares about he very much. He's not one of those absolutists. Which you know? is so interesting because he wins the entire... I mean, the whole book is based on... Well, not the whole book, but, like, his journey through the books is that, you know, he always used Expelliarmus rather mm-hmm. than, mm-hmm. you know... But he uses it against, like, Stan Shunpike yeah. because Stan Shunpike isn't actively... He's imperious, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, he's not obviously. actively trying to hurt someone. Yeah. He can't kill someone yeah. just so. Or even, like, Voldemort. Yeah. Yeah. I just find it, like, yeah, it's fascinating because I think... J.K. tried to make him seem like this morally upright but character, he's not. but he's, he's not at all. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and I think don't touch his things. Yeah, and I think that's something that the fandom has definitely played with. Mm. Um, is that he he can be very morally gray and mm. um, someone who is not afraid of violence mm. at all. Yeah, like he 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 definitely will is quicker to engage in violence mm. than to be you know like Hermione is very nonviolent. Mm. Hermione is very much like, take a step back and let's be logical and let's yeah. talk it out. And Harry is like, nope, we're dueling. Yep. We're, we're already dueling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's no talking here. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So I found that really interesting. And then Hermione. Yeah. <laughs> so he finally decides to accept a letter. Yep. And she's been writing this whole time. Hundreds of letters. <sighs> I just imagine her, like, every day being like, Rose is teething. It's horrible. She cries all the time. Where are you? Yeah, you yeah, exactly. so much babysitting. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, that's exactly how I imagine her, just, like, constantly keeping Harry in the loop. Yeah. Even if he's not taking the letters. Completely. And On Ron, the off and, chance that one day yeah. he will. And I imagine that Ron has written maybe one letter. I don't think he's written any. Because he's just traumatized that Harry left him. No, I really do think he would have been like, no, Harry's doing something important. Harry's doing something. He mm. wouldn't have just left. Yeah. He wouldn't not speak to us if there wasn't a reason yeah. not to. And I don't think he would believe that he could be dead. Mm. No. Like, nothing has killed him. <laughs> he, <laughs> he is invincible. Yeah. He, he has come back from the dead before. He'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. I'm sure he's, like, on vacation or yeah. something. He just doesn't want to talk. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I sort of imagine Ron as just being, like, the constant good friend who just believes in Harry. Yeah. And who's like, whatever's going on, he, he wouldn't take the space if he didn't need the space. Yeah. If he wanted us, he would write us. If he yeah. wanted us, he'd be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes him seem a bit of an absent friend. But at the same time, Harry has totally needed that space. Yeah. And Ron isn't the person he needed at the yeah. moment. So yeah. we see that later. Yeah. I love Ron. <laughs> I love Ron. Yeah. He's yeah. one of my favorite characters. And I love what happens in part three. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he took the letter, mm-hmm. decided not to write back. Hermione figures out that he's alive. Mm-hmm. You like kill me with more feels. <laughs> <laughs> and then he sends one of his carvings. So like we see now that he's like really picked up carving as yes. like a hobby yes. and like learning to use different kinds of magic. 
and different kinds of wood and that like the inherent magic of a tree is different for each thing yeah and we definitely explore that or i explore that Mm. particularly later i love that tree magic (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we this is sort of the first you explore it i just consume it (laughs) yeah 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 And I wanted to like make a little reference to what in canon was such a cool moment where Lily does this beautiful charm. Well, that's in the movies. It's in the book. It's in the movies. It's not a book moment. Are you sure? Yeah. Wow, I totally thought that was in the book. Oh, I love it anyway. Yeah, no, I actually love it. It's one of the few things from the movies I really appreciate. One of the few cool details. Yeah. Well, either way, I always thought it was a really, really cool bit of magic that mm. you could, like, transform something into something living mm. and that it's, like, reflective of the person's life. Yeah. You know, and I, I thought, like, you know, there's no way he's going to be able to write something that would explain how well he's doing. Yeah. Or and, like, why, how, you know, like, it just opens up so many. Yeah. No, like, no, no. There's no words for this. Yeah. I just, you know, like, take a, an object and put all of his feelings of, like, joy mm-hmm. and, like, newfound happiness and carefree, like, mm-hmm. enjoyment. Yeah. And put it into something visible. Yeah. That she can relate to. And I liked that it's, like, you know, related to Alice in the stream mm-hmm. and then also her Patronus yeah. and... And then he gives it specifically to see to say like for Rose. Yeah. You know, like this is child safe. <laughs> child safe and also he's still his her godfather. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. it was kind of a cool moment, like she could have this part of him. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I love it too. Thanks, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do things like that way more often. Like Great. going forward. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Yeah, I actually can't oh, wait. Oh, so I'll just cry more. That's yeah. interesting. I actually can't wait for part three to come so that Ron and Hermione will be more, more in, yeah, the story. in the story. So I can just cry even more than I normally do. That's good. Except yeah, you were like sniffling. Yeah. <laughs> you keep stopping the recording. Yeah. Yep. Anything so, else about this chapter? Um, I think that's it. Um, Draco in the background doing his potions. potions. Yeah. Just like getting real wild with the festival yeah, blood. Like sweating yeah. over his cauldron. Yep. Yeah. I'm excited for that. Oh, that other part of the plot. Yeah. yeah his research is mm-hmm. really going to change now. Yeah. And beca- become way more interesting. Mm. And fuck unicorns. Yeah, fuck unicorns. Yeah. That's like my whole thing. Yep. <laughs> that's how I feel about that. I agree with you. Mm. Cool. I think that's it. Okay. Moving swiftly on. Swiftly. Mm. You must read again now. Mm. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. See you guys next time. All right. Thanks for listening. How do I have three notifications?